sometimes struggle to get up in the morning or wind down for bed at night. I used to find it so difficult. I woke up with no sense of positivity and brightness. I was void of motivation and spirit. This changed completely when I started waking up with a Lumi body clock. These incredible devices mimic the light and colour of a real sunrise and sunset, transforming the experience of waking up and going to sleep completely. Rather than being suddenly woken up with an alarm clock, the Lumi body clock will wake you up gradually with a natural sunrise. The Lumi body clock has been shown to improve the quality of sleep and awakening and to boost mood and productivity in clinical trials. You can personalise your sunrise and sunset from 15 to 90 minutes with their clinically tested unique natural light and more than 20 sleep and wake sounds. We all deserve to sleep well and to wake up feeling fresh. So if you're finding this a challenge and you want to try a new approach, go to lumi.com. To be honest with you, I don't really look back at accolades. You know, I, I think you're just as, uh, I think it's all about what you're doing now. You know, I, I don't sit down and think about what I have done and all the, it's, it, you know, because to these kids, uh, the people who are, who are in this generation of listening music, they, they weren't there to experience it. So it means nothing to them, you know, and people who have done it before, um, a lot of them, it's great to be a, a part of their, uh, you know, the soundtrack of, of, of their childhood or of their lives. You know, and it does hold a lot for me. But for moving forward, there's a guy that always says to me, a great guru says to me, the windshield is this wide. The rearview mirror is this small. <laughs> so why are we so busy trying to look at this little small mirror when there's a massive wind, windshield in front of you of great things that you can do? Um, so the feeling for me getting up in the morning is I'm excited about what next I'm going to do. And I am very, very uh, lucky and honored uh, and blessed to still be relevant in my genre and, and relevant on a global basis. My brand is still alive. We still tour. We do well. I still put records out and still hit the charts and still hit the playlist. And I'm still getting gold records and I'm still getting Grammys. So I'm happy for that. Um, why do I keep doing it? Because what am I going to do? Uh, <laughs> retire and, and play golf or, you know, plant flowers or <laughs> fruits. I don't know. I, I, you know, what else am I going to do? This is what I do. This is, this is the only thing I know how to do. Well, you do not want to see me kick a ball. Trust me. <laughs> well, so this it's is very it. inspiring the way that you keep moving forward, but not only just putting out records for the sake of it, like, as you say, you're getting hits now, decades after you first got hits, and, and the music still sounds fresh. I wanted to go back, uh, though, to when, from what I know, you first started, like, developing your singing voice, because some people uh, listening to this might not know that you served for four years, was it, in, in the yeah, US? Yeah, four years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Would, it, would it be accurate to say that that's, that's when you started, like, developing your voice, or is that, um, you know? Um, you know, I didn't know that it was voice training. I remember I used to mock the drill instructors who used to talk almost in their, in their nasal. Yeah, boy. Get up, drop and do me 20 or whatever it is. And I just 
did it as a mockery to them because it made everybody laugh. And so they would ask, when we were running, they would ask us to come out and sing cadences. And I was, I don't know, but I've been told. And I would sing it in the voice that they always talk because everybody in the, it, that was running with us would find it funny and laugh. And then, you know, when I was doing records, I, I did Old Carolina and it was more of a singing record. So I just kind of sing it in the melodies of what I would do when I sing cadence. Oh, Carolina, I don't know, but I've been, this is the same thing. And then Oh, Carolina became a massive number on around the world. And at that point I said, well, okay, well, I guess I'm going to use this voice. And I ended up doing Boombastic the same way. So I just kept going. But I did, that voice is from the stomach up. You know I mean? You, us running and do it was almost like, it was vocal training, really, to be honest with you, because I was projecting while I was singing. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the fact that it comes from kind of the stomach area means yeah, and 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 just the general sound of it, like it's you're singing over Zoom and it's literally like pitch, piercing. Pitch, <laughs> yeah. it's pitch perfect though. Like a lot of Thank people you. who are good singers when they, when they start singing on Zoom because they've got a bit of throat in there or head voice or whatever yeah. or it's early in the morning, they don't sound like that good. Have you have you ever had to? you know, do anything to kind of take care of your voice, like vocal exercises and all that? Or is it just like... I, I've, I'm not formally trained on vocal. I have done some vocal lessons every now and then for like breathing. And I'm doing a lot more of that now because I just did a, a, a project with Sting that is a predominantly singing project that, that I just did. And um, I was coached. If I say I was coached, I was coached by Sting on how to sing and hold certain notes. And and I really respect singers after what I just went through with them. So, um, you know, but this project is supposed to drop in May and everybody's going to be super surprised when we drop it. So, oh, wow. Uh, but, but it took a lot. It took a lot of. It took a lot of training on my side with him literally being my trainer at it. That that's that's awesome to hear that uh, your collaboration is uh, is continuing, and it's oh, yeah, yeah. like you've done you know something really interesting with it. And so it is it is it is in, it is really surprising. <laughs> if you think four four eight seven six with me and him was surprising, this one will fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I loved that record. Uh, it, Thank you. It was such a great project. And yes, yeah, so, sorry for, for jumping around a bit because there's so many kind of milestones yeah. in your career. And as we're on the topic of Sting, you know, for those people, I mean, most people, unless they've been living in a cave, will know that that album came, came out. But how did that come about? Um, were you guys friends before? Um, I've met him before, but it, it really came up because of my manager uh, and his manager, who was at was then my ANR and his ANR at Indiscope. And um, he just thought that by knowing both personalities, thought that we would get along really well. And uh, I had a song called Don't Make Me Wait. He heard it and says, hey, can I send this to Sting? I was like, yeah, I didn't know he was serious. And then Sting walked in the studio and said, wow, this is great. Let's sing it. <laughs> and we ended up having that studio time and it was more jokes and fun than even getting the record done and then it just continued from there and it's you know he's now the brother i didn't know i needed <laughs> so awesome yeah. 
what was it like? Because um, you guys gigged together, didn't you? What was yeah. it like kind of sharing, sharing the kind of headline slot? Uh, um, best time of my life. Wow. Literally the best touring experience of my life. Wow, yeah. There must have been some show, and maybe there'll be more where that Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it was... I've done a lot of tours on my own and even when I was at the height of my, my game and we did massive arenas and everything. And, but the difference with this one was, yeah, we were doing massive arena and it was me and him, but I didn't feel the pressure. I didn't have the pressure of trying to fill a venue by myself. It was both of us. I didn't have the pressure of sitting down and figuring out a set list every day and key changes and dealing with a band and all of that. We, kind of shared it and what I was good at I did and what he was good at he did and I didn't mind having him take the lead on a lot of things because I trusted him and the things that I took the lead on he didn't mind me doing it because he trusted me and just it just kind of was seamless yeah you know? <laughs> oh, I, can, just, I, I can imagine I mean the set the set list just <laughs> It's ridiculous because two, yeah. two huge artists where like you'd struggle to pick a set list anyway, having to. Yeah. And you know, people, funny enough, when people come to the show, they're not realizing how many hits until we start doing it. We're like, oh, shit. For these two hours, every song is a smack. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so, yeah, so amazing records. I want to I want to ask about a few of your biggest uh, records. Um, and you know you've pro probably answered questions on them to death but I mean you know I, I grew up and so many of my listeners will have grown up on some of your biggest songs uh, so so first of all with regards to it wasn't me uh, yeah. when when you were making that record did you um, did you know how much of a hit that was that was going to be like in, in the recording yes yes <laughs> I knew you never could tell how big a record is going to be, but you could tell when you have something special. I knew it was. I knew it was a special. It was a special record. I tried to give it away. I don't know if you. There's a documentary on on that Vice did on on the making of it wasn't me. That's on YouTube. That really explains how what we went through just to get that record on the record because my manager at the time was a very dominating manager. Um, didn't like it. I tried to give it away to a couple of artists Notch from the Orange American, Tonto and Devante, um, Wayne Wanda, different people I had do the song. And um, it just ended up being me at the end of the day when it came back around. It, you know, I guess what's for Caesar was for Caesar, what's ordained is ordained. But I knew it was something special. And, and because I couldn't put it on my record, I tried to give it away. You know, so, but I knew that about a lot of records. When I wrote Mr. Bombastic, I knew that was something special. I know I hear the uniqueness in it. And, you know, I was like, okay, this is, you know, like I just did a song called Godonga with, with Spice. And the minute, uh, which which was a massive record, even though it's on a, a little independent record, we, you know, it's, it's blowing up in India now too. And when we did this record, I had done it for myself, but I knew it was a special record. So when I wanted to give Spice a, a solid hit, I said, hey, let's do this one for you. You know, and we ended up changing up some lyrics and then we added Sean Paul to it. And, and uh, it, but it was just a special and it jumped out the box just as a crazy. So, you know, when you have something that's a hit record, I was like, okay, that's dope. Yeah. It's, it's always convincing other people that it is. That's the problem. 
<laughs> yeah. So that's why, yeah. That's why today I just do things on my own. I, I don't partner with any labels or anything, guys. I can't, I'm tired of trying to explain to these people what, what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they should they should listen because uh, the record with Spice and Sean Paul is doing unbelievably well, and that's you've got a, just got a Grammy uh, nomination for producing that album. Yes, that like, for that uh, album. Yes, right that's on. Yeah, I mean it's 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 hard really to explain because people like to cookie cut. So, if I'm coming with a record that doesn't sound like anything that's on the radar, or anything that is out now, or, they're going to be like, then how does this work? You know, and I'm like, just like how everything else worked. When I came to Carolina, nothing sounded like it. Nothing on radio sounded like it. When I came with Mr. Bombastic, nothing sounded like it. Nothing, you know, I am a, I am a, a, a unique artist in a unique genre. You know, when I came with it, it wasn't me and Angel. We were in NSYNC and Britney Spears mode. There's nothing that sounded like it, mm. you know. And I keep doing this over and over throughout my career where it's, you know, and I've done it with, Without label support, you know, I'm in dance hall and reggae. There's no radio stations in the world. You know, iHeartMedia has 900 stations. You know, you own zero reggae stations. So how do we get on radio and become huge? There is you know, zero reggae stations. There is no reggae well, stations. I and I, there, are show, there, are, there, are, there are stations okay. that have reggae shows on a Sunday for two hours. Yeah, there yeah. is no reggae station owned on major stations. It doesn't exist. There's not enough reggae artists. There's not enough numbers. You know, dance hall and reggae is only 6% of the market share. So how do you get a guy like me to actually sell numbers like NSYNC or any of these guys? It's because I make, I just realized a long time ago, I have to make better records, 10 times better. I'm going to work 10 times harder and I'm going to have 10 times less sleep. And mm -hmm. that's just how it is because I'm not going to get, it's not a level playing field. Major labels are not going to put that kind of money in an artist when they don't see a way to make it back. So I have to believe in myself. So after a point, you realize I just, I can't deal with a label. I just do it myself because nobody's going to buy into me more than I am. That's so cool. Many people will be very like, you know, energized and inspired uh, to hear that. But what's well, harder, but it's harder, but yeah, you know. <laughs> it's strange about dance hall though, because like, even though you're, you know, like, there aren't any, specialist reggae channels or like i'm not sure about dancehall but yeah sounds like no specialist dancehall channels but like dance yeah, that's even worse you'll have probably more you'll have probably more reggae um um support than dancehall support dancehall even worse but that's so ridiculous because dancehall like has kind of been infused and taken into so much music that's you know in pop or like yeah in hip-hop or on those kind of kind of channels like rap channels um, it's all well, that's because that's because dancehall still holds the cool factor. It's still the coolest shit, you know. I mean, I mean, if you look at the history of reggae music and uh, and Jamaican culture within itself and see what an impact it has had on popular culture, it's amazing. Everything you've seen, um, Doja Cat or Katy Perry or Lady Gaga do, that's Grace Jones, bro. <laughs> yeah, you know I'm saying. Mm. If you look at some of the biggest bands in the world from U2 uh, to Melissa Etheridge, all the day, signed through Island Record by Chris Blackwell, a Jamaican. You know what I mean? Reggae was a part of the Stones and, you know, the police and all of that. The culture has always been a culture. You see Jay-Z do, uh, you know, come to Jamaica and film content for their tours. You see Drake 
dibbling in, uh, into it. You see Ed Sheeran, because it's cool. You know what I mean? But nobody is going to want to go with the whole format of it because it's, it's riskier for them. So they'd rather put little flavors of it, but they're not going to jump totally into it. You know, you look at Rihanna, who started with On the Ponder Replay, which is a dancehall record. As soon as that happened, she went over to a pop lane because it's harder for them because there's not a lot of uh, avenues. You know, if you get a reggae record right now, there are very few playlists that's going to support reggae that's available on Spotify. You know, there are some, but a lot of them don't have the type of numbers to support. Them, you know what I mean? So you have to make these records that are incredibly infectious to where they were like, I know it's a reggae record, and I'm, but it's doing so fucking well. We have to put it in. And that's kind of how I ended up getting on radio over the time. It's like, I, I know it's a reggae dancehall record and we don't have a format for reggae dancehall, but you see what this number is selling. You see how people are doing in this club. We got to put this record in. And then I go in the mix show and then the mix show gets the, he gets the number one. And it was like, okay, we're going to program him. Let's put him on a B list. And you go on the B list and I do so well on the B list. It's like, okay, let's go to playlist, get him to the A list. And the A list does well. It's like, oh my God, fucking A, the guy's number one. You know, we put Hot Shot record that sold 10 million out. When it came out, it sold 17,000 copies. We, right? Within the next year, when it wasn't me kicked in, we were selling a half a million copies a day <laughs> of the album. We we're gold a week and we yeah. sold 10 million. I've always been a slow burn. It's just what it is because there are not enough outlets and marketing and support behind a person uh, in a niche genre like I am. And I've always been that person. And I've always known that I'm the underdog there. And and it's part of what is exciting to me. Yeah, yeah, it's, well, people love uh, love an underdog. In terms of, because we talked about, uh, you know, like the way that a lot of pop artists now kind of infuse elements of dancehall and reggae into their sound because I mean it is very very cool and it's maintained that kind of edge ever since yeah like when the Stones or whoever started going yeah to Jamaica and and kind of like using um that uh to, to help their brands is there anything that you like because you've obviously got a keen ear for what's going to work um because as you say you're independent and you've got you're having all these big hit singles. Are, are there any other genres that you like, or any other artists away from your kind of your your roots in dancehall and reggae, um, who whose sound you particularly like, or like, or, or kind of? I, I like a lot of mainstream shit that's going on. I love Doja Cat. I think she's fucking phenomenal, man. I I listen to some of the some of her joint. My daughter put me onto her shit, and I'm like, wow. You know, I was in a car driving and my daughter was playing her and I was like, who's that? I was like, this is Doja Cat. And I was like, just so I couldn't stop listening. So she's great. Billie Eilish, I love. Yeah. Love what Billie is doing. Um, love, I love a lot of Ed Sheeran shit too, man. I, you know, I love his, his songwriting, his storytelling. You know, it's really cool. Um, yeah, I, I love, I love uh, there's a lot of these artists that I'm really into, you know what I mean? Um, J. Cole, I love, you know what I mean? Uh, a lot of hip hop shit that I'm really into, you know, and um, so yeah, you know, it could be, it could be, and it could be anything, you know. I really love that remake of Dua Lipa and and Elton John too. They, I mean, so they, it goes to different genres of shit that I really just, it's just what my ear catches to. I'm like, wow, this is dope. 
You know what I mean? Like, I like SZA, you know, uh, I like her, you know, <laughs> so, right, so there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I, that I get into, but it, it might not be the full body of work of an artist. It might be certain songs that I, that I grab into and be like, okay, this is, this is fire. You know what I mean? And yeah, we've got yeah. so much choice. It's impossible to know. Oh yeah. Tons of choices now. You know I mean? You, the thing is, everything is on your phone. You can just, Access is amazing right now, you know, I'm, but I'm really boiled down to and tightening in on, on Jamaican acts. And I've been featuring Jamaican acts on every record so far, you know what I mean? And I, I want young Jamaican acts. I'm going to use my platform to do as much collaborations with them as possible instead of doing it with major acts that are half the time, most of them are assholes. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I can imagine that. Who, who are the, the people who excite you most in terms of Jamaican acts? Um, at the moment, who you would encourage people? Um, uh, obviously, Spice. You know, I'm, I'm I went and signed Spice because I thought she was just phenomenal. She walks in a room and lights it up, and she's there's all some always something exciting with her, and she's raw and she's unapologetic. And um, there's real pain there that you could hear in her music when she does it, and it's something very relatable. You know, Dexter Daps is another person that is one of my favorite. You know, I just, I just, I like his, his, his energy and his vibe and, you know, uh, it's, it's realness. There's a certain realness about it that I like, that I like with him also. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's tons of act TJs and other artists that I'm, that I'm working with too, that I'm just excited. But Black Hero, another artist that out of Jamaica that I love also. You know, so there, there are a few, you know, Naomi Camp, Naomi Cohen also, I, I like her as an artist. You know, um, Jamila out of Jamaica also. And, you know, there's tons of people that I have my eye on. And and, and everything boils down to a song. I might be seeing an artist and I, I wait. It might take me six months, seven months until I hear that one song that is that artist song. And I give them a call and be like, I got something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, you know, it's, it, it's some people that I'm with that I haven't, made a record, but I admire them a lot because I just haven't heard that song yet that I've, you know, I haven't written that song yet or come up with that song yet that I say, okay, this is that person, you know? Yeah. Well, you're writing, I mean, well, it's been showcased uh, on the Spice album 10, which is a wonderful uh, album. And, and obviously with the smash single from it, but like one thing that from the nineties, onwards all, all your records like they have like this great sense of melody uh do you write the same way every single time or, or is your no. songwriting process vastly different how do songs come to you no and i've had different partners in writing like most of the first earlier stuff like the old carolina the bombastic album um those were written solely 100 percent by me I never wrote them down or count bars or anything. I just did all of those on almost on freestyle um, for those two albums, you know, one of which we won a Grammy for. Um, when I got to Hot Shot now, that's when I started to collaborate. And I collaborated with Rick Rock at the time that wrote most of Hot Shot. And I collaborated with Dave Kelly out of Jamaica a lot. And um and we wrote a lot of great records just sitting in a room, trading ideas, you know, and melodies and, you know, um, and, and I always do that because 
you try to write records that is relatable to the, the everyday person's experience in, in life. I am not an everyday person anymore. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very successful. I'm not riding trains. I'm not, you know, taking cabs. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not shopping in a supermarket. I'm not, you know, going to the mall shopping. I'm not doing any of these things anymore. So I have to rock with people who are in the streets that have those experience. And I pull from those experience with them to create songs. You know what I'm saying? Uh, right now, I got a young man by the name of Assailant that I work with, and he's totally in the streets every day. And so some of the talk, even on this late record, where you say Kili Kili or, or Chop or any of these words that are really street lingua, that's uh, the street lingo that's happening in Jamaica right now, I don't know those. You know what I'm saying? So I might write something and you're like, yeah, Shaq, but I wouldn't say it like that. That ain't, that ain't the talk right now. You know, and I'm like, okay, so how would I say it? And then, he, you know, and then so I pull from that. But then, you know, so I'll do the melodies and the flows and all of that. And then him and I'll sit down and work on the lyrics of, of how it will be relatable to that. You know what I mean? Because as you get older and you're, you know, I'm in a whole different situation. I'm not, I'm not into that, but I could relate. I could tap in. If you tell me a story about your life at this point and say, hey, you know, I'm going through it right now with, with, with men mental issues or, you know, or abuse or, or, you know, I go to a party and I like this, or, you know, I just love women or I like that or whatever. I could listen to your story and get it and buy into it and write about it because I've listened to you and I could put myself in your shoe. You know what I mean? But am I, am I generally experiencing that? No. You know what I mean? So that's why it's good that I always stay connected like that. And that's how I keep my finger on the pulse. Mm. That's really interesting. Uh, and obviously you've earned, you know, through hard work uh, consistently the right, you know, uh, to have a great life and a great lifestyle. Uh, as you mm. mentioned, you know, you're not doing kind of stuff that you would have had to do earlier on in your life. Do you think right. you could function, right, if, if everything got taken away from you, um, no more, no more luxuries. Um, you're, you're no longer shaggy. You're, you're, you've got to change your name and start all over again. I kind of get the impression that you could, um, but yeah. it would probably be really difficult. But um, do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it would be. I don't say it would be easy, but definitely, I, I did it before. After Hotshot, I left my manager. I left my company. I left my. I literally did a Dr. Dre. I left my building, I left my company, I left my catalog, I left everything. I fought back and got my catalog back, but I literally left everything and started over. And I created Ranch and started a whole new company and ended up writing songs like I Need Your Love and Fight This Feeling Me Embarrassed and all these these records. And then I did the record with me and Sting and I started back from scratch and went back up. You know what I mean? And and it was rock bottom at the time. I still had my name, so that 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 was a help. Um but yeah, I had to go back to touring little, um, you know, little hole in the walls just to build back my name and build back because there was so much damage done from the pre previous managing and and what that I had to I had to repair all of that and right. repair the brand and get yeah. back into the game and and that means I had to go back in the streets, went back in the streets, you know, running up on on people, uh, going into parties, grabbing the mic when I can. Um, running up to the selector, asking him, you know, to play my joint. You know, I was 
back at serious? it. Yeah. I did all of that in Jamaica, did all that in Brooklyn, did all I did. What, what years was this? Because I read about this was, it, just to be clear. Was that 90, 98? No, 2008, 2007, 2008, around that time. Started my new company and, and just, uh, I'd left my manager and I just left everything. I just walked out. So you, I literally walked, I walked out of my building in Jamaica, my studio complex, and I've never been there back and it's been 15 years. Wow. I just left everything. And, and just said, hey, I have my talent. Because James Brown told me years ago when we met, and he says, he sat me down and he was like, yo, um, they could take away your woman, they could take away your car, they could take away your, your deal and your money. One thing they'll never take away from you is your talent. And he said that straight to me. And he says, as long as you have your talent, you're a rich man, never you forget that. And I walked out of that room that, that day believing that. And I was like, okay, only God could take away the ability to write songs and, 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 and create art like I do. Mm. And I believe that. And I kept doing that until I, and I kept, kept nailing them, kept, hit, kept getting hit, kept getting hit, kept getting hit. When did you James Brown? I, w- I was on tour with him in a place uh, in um, Antwerp. Um, I think it's 2004. 2004, 2005, something like that. And we were doing um, a thing called uh, Night of the Proms. Oh, yeah. And it, yeah, and every night I got out on stage, he would come out during my segment and watch me. I couldn't figure it out. He wouldn't watch anybody. He just came out and watched my segment every night. Mm. And then one evening, he came into my dressing room and sit me down and say, hey, I got to talk to you. See, I've been watching you every night, and you, you're the truth. You know, you are something else. You're, he says, you need to let the world see you. And let him see both sides. He said, I think you're funny. I think you're, you know, you got to go on. And he just gave me an incredible pep talk that I wasn't expecting to, to get. Bye. But I walked away that night with, it resonated. What he said, it resonated. I was a young kid at the time, but, but it resonated. That is really, really awesome. And yeah, by the sounds of things, because uh, you hear a lot of, about James Brown. And one thing you've got to admire, aside from his unbelievable talent, talent is his work ethic was un- insane. Oh, yeah. I don't think yeah. he said that to anyone. So, so that's amazing. And that's also, no, I, you know what? I, I get the feeling that, that these are pep talks he has done with certain people that he feels deserved. It yeah. Or yeah. should get. I don't think, I don't think I'm the only person that's gotten that pep talk. No, you know, the way he did it, the way he walked into my dressing room and then his, the security guard closing the door behind me and standing in front of me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a beat down. now. <laughs> You know, but uh, I, I just think that is something he does to people that he genuinely likes and and see something and say, hey, OK, you need to hear this, you know, and he knew I respected him on that level. You know, I, he knew that I had that level of I was, you know, I was a kid in the candy store. I was on chain. I was on tour with James Brown. It was me, James Brown, Cindy Lauper, Pointer Sisters. Um, Joe Cocker was on the tour. Tons of us. That is some tour. Uh, yeah. Incredible. So so you talked about how you had to kind of start from scratch in, you know, the early 21st century, 2000s. Um, mm-hmm. and, and from what I know, like after your first hits, you know, uh, Oh Carolina or uh, Boombastic, you know, you you kind of had to do the same thing there before you had, is that true as well? Like you had a kind of... Yeah. I mean, I got dropped after I did... Um, so I had 
Oh, Carolina, that girl with Maxi Priest put a massive hit also. And we did Maxi Priest's album at that time. And then I did um, Mr. Boombastic. That was massive. Summertime was massive. And right after that, I came out with a song called Peace of My Heart, which was mainly orchestrated by my manager at the time who produced that record and, and that whole album. And it flopped. And the label dropped me. And they dropped me right away. And I think they dropped me because I had recouped and that's also another bad thing you got to the artist. If you're in the business with record major record label, um, to recoup is not a good thing. <laughs> See, if you recoup, you know, as soon as you make a mistake, they don't mind dropping you because they don't need to make any money back from you. Because if you recoup and then they own your masters anyway, they're just going to keep making money on you without even have to ever spend money. But if you take a lot of money from them, you know, and you don't recoup, they're going to start promoting you and hang around to you after a while to try and get at least most of that money back. You know what I'm saying? It's like you buying that shirt for, if you paid 10 bucks for the shirt, you don't care if somebody spilled, you know, drinks on it. But if you pay a thousand dollars for it, you're going to make sure nobody walk around you with drinks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So. I think that was a situation. I just didn't have smart people with me. I'd, we certainly had leverage to have really huge advances that the record company would have to spend a lot more time and energy and money um, to market and promote, but it just wasn't in their interest because they had nothing to lose. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You hear, you hear that type, type of story all the time through record labels, oh. but um at the end of the day, though, you've you've done it like again and again, made these comebacks. So uh, it's been a real honor to talk to you, Shaggy. I've got uh, a couple more questions. Uh, yeah. So for those people who have not had that first breakthrough, that first turning point, uh, and for the people listening to this uh, podcast who are aspiring musicians and creatives, uh, what what would you say if you were James Brown in this situation? Uh, now that now that you're you know on the legend status, what pep talk would you give? I would say everything, but you cannot excel at anything unless you're passionate about it. If you get up every morning and singing and being an artist is what you want to do and be successful is what you want to do, you'll never fail. You know, it literally has you got to have it in you and then you have to have an instinct i don't think you're going to survive unless you're that artist that is driven passionate and have an instinct about what it is that is cool and what it is that will connect you have i've seen artists who their manager have been the driving force they're just talented people and they're not going to make it because when the manager is out the picture they, they're clueless mm -hmm. it starts from the artist being that person that is that passionate and that driven and, you know, uh, decisive. And I think that that's where it really boils down to. You have to have that passion and work ethic to make it work. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and be able to stay relevant by the sounds of what you just said. That's something. Oh yeah. Finger on the pulse, finger on the pulse every day, collaborate, um, rock with new people. You know, if you get up every day and you're eating, you're eating uh, chicken, 
There's days you're going to want curry chicken. The other days you're going to want frigory chicken, chicken. The next minute you're going to want uh, breaded chicken. The other day you're going to want boiled chicken. The, the next day you might want chicken cutlet. You know, people's, people's change. The person you are now is not the same person you were five years ago, and you won't be the same person the next 10 years. You know, you change. Life changes you. People change. The same thing is not going to go over and over and over and over. The single we have out now is a song called Minano which literally uh, is an interpolation of one of the greats in dancehall that I've admired for years. And we're actually come from the same area in jungle, um, which is uh, Ika Mouse. It samples the hook. Which is an old record that he did, which I always thought was very infectious. And then I also did uh, Ninja Man, you know, done talking, which is one of, you know, the greatest dancehall um, artist that ever, you know, uh, blessed us. And it was kind of me kind of putting those two records together and really just talking my shit, you know, and I think it was just time for me to talk some shit on there. And I just talk about the accolades and what I've done and what I'm still doing, you know what I mean? And and I, I wanted it to get back to just lyric and flow and that vibe. And it's just somehow just kind of jumped out the box really, really big. You know, we put it out last Friday and people are just going nuts over it. So I'm like, yeah, you know, it's the first song in, you know, where in a long time where people, every DJ is calling me about it. And so, um, you know, it's uh, it's available on all the streaming platform and we have an album that is, is coming up also.